Hey, if nobody said it yet, welcome to Gathering Place. I don't pay attention to what other people say. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm excited for today because um, I believe that right now we are in the midst of change. And as we're continuing our series on change, I was thinking this week about like growing up. You know, my son's getting ready to leave for college. We've already had a couple students leave for college. We're praying for another one today at the end of service. I told you, the next few weeks, it's what we do every week. Somebody else, they should all start at one time. Then we could do it all at once, but they don't. So we pray for them each week as they leave. But um, I was thinking about junior high and my friends that I was friends with in middle school, high school. And um, some of you may still be friends with the people you went to school with. I have moved so many times I don't think they could even track me down. Um, I'm not running. Please don't think that. It's not one of those witness relocation things. But we, my wife and I, we, we met. I, went, I grew up, I lived in Detroit, moved to Wisconsin in middle school, grew up there, went to college in Los Angeles. My first church was in Colorado. We were then up at, in Kirkland, then we were in San Diego, then we were in Iowa, and now we're here. So it's really hard for people to track me down. God keeps trying to teach me something, I guess, because he keeps having me move new places. But um, I was thinking about like people I was friends with, and I remember going from middle school into high school, and I had this group of friends that I was really good friends with. And something changed in those years call it adolescence, call it whatever. But by the time I went from junior high to high school, a lot of my friends, like when I look back at my senior year, who my friends were in seventh grade, were completely different people. I mean, I think I was still friends with one or two people from middle school that, I mean, it's not that I didn't know them. My whole high school was 400 students. Pretty much you'd still see them and you'd you know, give them a polite wave in the hall. But they were different. And then I went to college and I established a new friend group all the way across the country. And my friends from high school became less and less involved in my life. And again, now it's, I go back home and I'll see somebody at the grocery store that I was friends with in high school and it's just kind of like, hey. <laughs> I'm not still living there, I'm not still, you know, I have one friend that still wears this Letterman's jacket. We've been out of high school 30 years. <laughs> I want to tell him that, but I don't have the heart to be the one to break it to him goes to every home, high school game, football, basketball. He's at all of them. My mom says, oh yeah, I saw him. I'm like, I don't doubt it. <laughs> but we change. And we become different people. And we enjoy different things. What I do now is different than what I enjoyed even five years ago. I'm growing. I'm changing. I'm becoming a little bit older, a little bit more settled maybe, a little less adventurous. Like, people will say stuff because they know that once in a while I travel and they're like, oh, it must be great to go to Mexico. I'm like, you know, if I had my way, I'd, I'd probably never leave the church grounds. I'd go down there, we'd work at the church and the orphanage. I'd never leave the entire week. I'd have to make one trip to Walmart and then that would be it. I went to Russia, people said, oh, did you see some cool things? I was like, no. Saw the inside of my Airbnb, walked two blocks to the classroom where I was teaching and walked two blocks to the person who was like my host. And then we would go and eat somewhere for dinner. Those were the things I saw. Because I've changed and I don't do that as much. I don't 
you know, I don't navigate the way, or I don't have the adventure I do now, or I did once before. As we navigate change, it changes who we are, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Because a few other things I've learned. I'm a much deeper reader now. I've always liked information, always loved statistics, but I'm a deeper reader now. I enjoy spending time just sitting and talking. Whereas 30 years ago, I would have thought that was a waste of time. To sit down with somebody, even a friend, to just sit down and talk would have been a waste of my time. Now I look forward to it. As some of you know, I invite anybody in the church to schedule a time with me. Let's have breakfast. Let's have lunch. I can't do it every week with everybody, but I do it every week with somebody. Because that's something I enjoy now. So, I could go into other things that have changed about me, but I just want you to have the idea that as we navigate change, we change. Our friends change. Our relationships change. Those that we're in community with change. And that's not a bad thing. You just have to understand that you're becoming who God created you to be. And as I'm becoming that person, it means some things I put behind me and other things I reach for. And the things I'm putting behind me aren't necessarily bad things. I go to our cabin usually for two weeks of the year. We have a little one-room cabin. I love it. It's my happy place. I usually go once in the summer and once in the fall. And this year I went for one day in the winter. It was 51 below, 38 below. It was 38 below with wind chill, but it was only 14 below without the wind chill. So a bit balmy. Went for a hike, was feeling sick to my stomach the entire time. And I still look and thought, huh, that's fun. <laughs> I have no idea why, but I look back and thought, that was a fun day. But I go to this place, and I used to canoe and kayak and hike. You know what I do now? I sit in my lawn chair and stare at the lake for hours at a time. Then occasionally I get up, walk back to the house, get something to drink, and mosey back to the top of the hill and stare at the lake. And Dylan will be like, let's go do this. And I'll say, why don't you do that? And I'll cheer you on. <laughs> and we go out for boat rides and putter along. He's like, can't this thing go faster? And I'm like, yes, it can. But I don't change speeds at all. <laughs> I just continue to putter. Just answering the question honestly. Yes, it could go much faster. There's no need to. We change. And change means difference. Change means growth. Change means sometimes you're uncomfortable. But we change. So I'm going to talk about three things that change is about. So first off, change is about the past. And here's how it's about the past. By the way, if you want to grab your Bible and turn to Hebrews 11, we're going to be there in a little bit. But change is about the past. And the question is, when we don't want to change, what are we clinging to? Have we glorified the past? I hear people all the time say, I just wish we were like the early church and I, everything I've studied on the history of the early church and I wonder why. Why would you have wanted to be like that? First off, they were hiding. Second off, they were persecuted, tortured, killed, executed. If you read the second half of Hebrews 11, which we're not going to even get to, that talks all about that. People being drawn and quartered and it says, yet their faith stood strong. I still don't want to have to go through it. 
Another thing about the early church that sometimes people gloss over is the fact that they have the same issues and problems. Paul addresses gossip. Paul addresses marital infidelity. Paul addresses um, idolatry, sexuality. Paul addresses money. The same problems we have in the church today, Paul talks about all of those. So obviously the early church was not some utopian society. He says, you guys need to be quiet. He says, you guys need to speak up more. He says, you guys need to stop hoarding things. He says, you guys need to stop taking advantage of those who give. Wow, does that sound like the world today? So we glorify the past and we say, oh, I just wish the church could be like this. Why? What is it about the church then that you think was so great? Change scares us, and so we glorify the past to say, well, it wasn't really that bad. People look back and say, oh, high school, those are the best days of their lives. And I think, were you actually in high school? (laughs) High school were some of the toughest days of my life. People will tell me while they're in college, oh, college is so hard. And I look back and I thought, I never took more naps at any point in history than when I was in college. I remember going to class, taking a nap, going to work, taking a nap, then studying for some reason till like 2 a.m. and then repeating the process. Sometimes multiple naps in a day. But we glorify the past because change scares us. Change is about the future. We don't like change because it means uncertainty. I like things the way they are now because I understand them. I like things the way they are now because the system works for me. People that the system doesn't work for probably don't love what's going on now. And yet, sometimes, we don't know what the change is going to bring. Are our hearts prepared for what God has next? That's the question we have to ask when we're talking about the future. Sometimes people say, oh, I just wish we could have a move of the Holy Spirit like they had in the, and they named the era, the 20s, the 70s, the 1400s, whichever era, era it was. And yet, if you look at those, even in those same eras, It was always different. What we want is to duplicate, make a copy of. The problem with a copy is it's a pale comparison to the original. There's always a flaw somewhere in the copy. My father used to uh, work for a bank, and his job, this was a different era, but his job was to find counterfeit money. He counted the cash that came into the bank every day, and sometimes it would be up to a million dollars. He was in a secret vault below ground, and he would count it and do it all by hand and look for counterfeit bills. And he had no magic tricks, just his eyes. And he'd flip through every stack, and he'd feel the money with his eyes closed, and then he'd start going through it, and he'd use the eraser of a pencil because he could flip through it quicker. And then he'd do that again. He'd flip through it one direction, flip through it another. And he said, you always stare at the eyes. The eyes are right in the center of the bill. And then he'd find something, and he'd go, something's not right. And I was talking to him, and he goes, sometimes you can't even find what is not right. You just know something's not right when he's flipping through it. And he pulls this bill out, sets it aside, puts it in this plastic sleeve, and it gets sent off to the FBI. And in his time at the bank, when he was doing that, he found over 100 counterfeit bills. Because the copy isn't the same as the original. We want this thing that was 
not what is God going to do. And by saying, I'm, I'm going to hold on to the past instead of embrace the future, I'm going to recreate something that happened. And so then we start trying to recreate, and weird things happen. They go, well, you know, this happened in the 1400s. Who cares? It's weird now. And I don't know that it is of the Holy Spirit. Because I do believe the Holy Spirit wants to move. I believe he wants to move in our church and in our body. But I don't think he wants to do it the same way it looked then. I think he wants to do something new and different and fresh because we don't need a God who can only recycle. If we did, then every 100 years, everybody that was born or every 150 years, it'd just be a duplicate, a carbon copy of the person that was previously born because, well, I've already worked on that one. And that's not how it works. Every, unique, every soul is unique and different. God doesn't need to repeat the past. Change is about the future. Sometimes change scares us because it's a thinning out or a pressing down. But beautiful things can be formed by pressing down. I started uh, looking at how are diamonds made. And I always believed that diamonds came from coal being compressed. And I found out that's not true. And it shattered my entire world Vision, I guess. My entire illusion was shaken. How many of you thought diamonds were made from coal being pressed down? Oh, good, I'm not the only one. About a third of the people in here, the rest of you had already apparently looked at the Wikipedia page on how diamonds are made. Um, But diamonds are formed through kimberlite pipes, which forces heat up through the very mantle of the earth, and it forces the fire and the heat up, and this creates pressure because we have nearly 100 miles of rock that this heat gets pushed up through. And it pushes up sand, and that sand actually forms other things around it, creating into it a diamond. But it says it takes years, eons, and centuries for this to happen. And then somewhere, somewhere in in the world goes digging in a hole and finds it. They cut it, they polish it, and we sell it for huge money. However, the good people at De Beers are a little worried because diamond sales in the last decade are down over 33%. And they say the next generations, for some reason, aren't buying our super expensive rocks. (laughs) Convince them that they need this. And they can't be convinced for some reason. The average diamonds are bought now in America by people 59 years old is who the average diamond buyer is. So they're looking and going, well... Unless they live to be 99, we better start doing something quick. This thing took years, millennia, to form and create, but it didn't create because things were easy. It created because of the pressure. Change causes pressure on us. It causes us and forces us to be different, but that difference can be better in the long run because people will still pay thousands of dollars for a rock, but they won't for that piece of sand. But that same piece of sand, that same piece of material, organic matter that got forced by heat through rock that made it hard and toughen, it's usable for so many things in science. It's usable for things in chemistry and in medicine. It's usable to show somebody that you're married. Without the journey, the diamond wouldn't be the hardness and have the resilience that it has is by being pushed and forced through something. 
Sometimes change feels like a pushing, like we're being forced into something or forced through something. And yet God is using that to shape, refine, and help us redefine who we are. Because he sees you not as you are, sees you not as you were, but he sees you as who you can become. And that doesn't mean you're not enough because you are enough and you are acceptable God today as you are. But he sees you and he wants so much more for you. And he doesn't care how long you've been a Christian and he doesn't care about your age and he doesn't care about your socioeconomic or your gender or your whatever, whatever we classify ourselves as. He looks and sees you as a child of God. But he sees you as what you can become. And change is hard, but change is what helps us become who he created us to be. Change is about faith. Fear causes us to look back instead of reaching forward. But Paul tells us in Philippians 3, reach forward to what lies ahead. Stop looking back at the past and glorifying it. Reach forward to what lies ahead. Understand, God has beautiful things for you. Your past does not have to hold you back. It doesn't mean there's never consequences. It doesn't mean there's never things you don't have to do. It doesn't mean you can live however you want. But it doesn't have to be a barrier to what he has for your future. Change causes us to create our own narrative in our mind so that we feel secure. We do this because we're scared of what God is doing in our church. And so we say, well, you know, it was better when this was happening. We do it because we're scared of what God is doing in our lives. Well, it was so much easier here. We glorify the past. We glorify decades. We glorify people that were in our lives I've had people tell me, oh, if you knew my grandmother, she was just a total saint, you know, and she was, and I was like, really? Because I, you know, I met your grandma. She didn't seem like that. I never say it, but I think it. But there was no perfect person other than Jesus. And we don't need to glorify who they were. Trusting God to lead us into a new place will cause our church and the world around us to look different. And sometimes that causes some of us to want to run. We want to run away because I like it the way it is. Or it may be imperfect, but at least I know the rules I'm dealing with. There's a study a while back that I um, actually got through my work with the police. And it said 84%, 84% of people in an abusive relationship will stay in that relationship for the length of their life. Because even though it's abusive, at least I know it. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I probably think, well, I kind of deserve it. It's my own fault for doing this or this or this. And the whole thing with the police is learning to spot those signs so that you can help people escape. But we don't I don't just want people to escape. I want people to find wholeness. I don't just want people to run. I want people to have something to run to. I want us to be casting a light, reflecting Jesus, so that people know there's something to run to, not just run away. People are scared and will stay in an abusive situation because it's easier than going through change. Preparing for change allows us to be open 
for who God desires, for what God desires for our lives. In other words, as we prepare for change, if we're willing to do it, God has something else for us. But until I make those steps out, I can't experience the freedom God has for me. I can't experience the joy. I can't experience the next thing God has because I'm stuck here and I'm in this place and I don't want it to change. So I've got to stop glorifying the past. I've got to stop trying to copy the past. I've got to start stepping on in faith and not allowing fear so that I can be prepared for what God has for me. So what do we have to do in order to be prepared? Preparation, a brief list, as I call it, literally in my notes. Here we go. Number one, first off, we have to be open to what God will, wants to do in us. Are we open to God challenging us and having us step up into a new ministry, into a new opportunity, into a new place? Because it's scary and it's hard, but he's got something for us. Number two, we have to learn to listen to God's voice. We do that through understanding the word, through spending time in prayer. These things are critical. If I'm going to know the voice of God, because the voice of doubt that goes on in my head can be pretty strong sometimes. The voice that says, you're no good, or you're not good enough, or you can't do this, or you're not loved, or you're not special, or you're not what you once were, or you'll never be anything. That voice echoes loud. I have to learn to hear God's voice because sometimes it's, I don't want to do this because of whatever, but in reality, it's just my own fear. Learning, learning to hear God's voice, being engaged with those around you that also hear God's voice. I'll tell you right now, there's a saying that happens amongst pastors is God has a great plan for your life. Now let me tell you what it is. The reason we do that is because we know God has a great plan for their lives and we want to be in charge of that. But the truth is, learning to know who really does hear God's voice and what they're saying is pointing you towards what he has next for you. So what do I have to do? I have to be willing to get out of my comfort zone to engage with those around me. It becomes really easy to show up for church do my responsibility of being here, sing a few songs, enjoy the music, say hello to a couple of people during my 90-second breakout time, listen to the message, check it off, and get out of here. I might even have a cup of coffee with somebody in the lobby, but only if they catch me while I was on my way out the door. But if we're going to be a church that impacts and changes our community and the world around us, if we're going to be who God created us to be, we have to start to engage with people on a deeper level. And that's scary because a deeper level means I'm vulnerable. It means I'm going to open up my house. I'm going to open up my world. I'm going to sit down and say something to somebody. And what if they use that against me later? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I look foolish? There's a little test I like to do. I like to ask people. I did it more when I was a youth pastor, but I like to ask people. And I would pick students in my group, and I'd be talking to an adult, and they'd be talking about, you know, the state of how America's going to hell in a handbasket and that kind of thing, and all the problems we have. And I'd look, and I'd go, do you know that kid? And it'd be somebody that 
like, had been in our church for as long as I've been around. Do you know that kid's name? No. Do you know that kid's name? No. Do you know that kid's name? I'd be like, you know why hell churches or America's going to hell in a handbasket? Because you've got all the answers, but you don't even know their names. How are you ever going to put into their lives? And it wasn't a setup. It wasn't a trap. It wasn't like I was looking to make them look foolish. But what I wasn't going to do is let them blame the next generation for all our problems when you're not pouring anything of yourself into them. I wasn't asking them for money. I wasn't asking them to sponsor a kid. I was asking them to build a relationship with somebody that wasn't just like them. And it's the same thing I ask you guys to do on a regular basis. Have people into your home. We hosted a series of summer barbecues this summer. We had 35 families sign up. And for most of my hosts, they've gone, hasn't gone real well, Jeff. People I hosted, they didn't show up. And I just go, I'm really sorry, but thank you for at least hosting. Why? Why why is it that way? I mean, we all have busy lives. I get that. I get busy. Why? Because it means if I show up, I got to engage, and I got to be real, and I got to be vulnerable, and that might take me to another level. And I don't like that. And I know there's real reasons that we can't show up. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just stating, here's the observation I'm making. So right now, if I'm offending you, I'm sorry, I love you, forgive me, but show up to the next barbecue. (laughs) The truth is, we don't want to do it because it's scary. It means putting me out there. What if they ask me to bring drinks? I don't know what to bring. I can use that because I was asked to bring drinks to the last one I went to. I brought drinks. But it's hard because... I don't want to be the vulnerable one. I want everybody else to be. Did you know the number two thing, not the number one thing, the number one thing Christians that are looking for a new church are looking for, the number one thing is they want a church that believes and supports missions. That's the number one thing. The number two thing, they want a church that offers small groups. Currently of churches in America, less than 14% of all people are involved in a small group. It's 13 point whatever. 82% say it's the number two thing that they want in a church. So they want it to happen, but I ain't going to it. (laughs) It's got it. I'm not even going to consider a church if you don't have an active and vibrant small groups program. I will never show up at someone else's house for it. Because that means I'm going to be vulnerable. That means people are going to ask me how I'm doing. That means people are going to ask me What's going on in your life? What's God doing in your life? That's going to force and press me into a situation where I have to change. And I don't want to do that because it's scary and it's hard and it's painful. And yet God is looking and saying, I have so much more for you. I have to get you to where you are and who I created you to be. And when you can't go there, when you're too afraid, when you're stuck in suspended animation, so to speak, when you're just there in that arrested development stage... It's just way easier. Sure, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown, but there's a lot that I already know. They say the millennial generation is split in two at this point. Half of them are off and running on their career. The other half cannot even figure out what they want to do. Not only can't move it forward in their career, they can't even figure out what they want to do. And they said it's the first generation that they've ever seen with such a distinct and divided split. 
And it's not that they're not hard workers. In fact, one study I recently read said millennials of the people that are existing are probably the second hardest working generation after Generation X. And what's funny is Generation X works hard because they're desperate to be loved and they think they'll find it if they work hard. So Generation X, my group, we're out there working as hard as we can. We're putting in 50-hour, 60-hour weeks because we're desperate to have somebody go, you're okay, you're acceptable, you're loved. And the next generation, the millennials, they will work hard, but they're so scared because nobody has said, hey, it's okay to move forward. It's okay to not know what you want to do for the rest of your life and to do something for a while because God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And we say it, but we don't live it because we don't engage in relationship with them because they're a bunch of young people and I don't want them messing up my house. (laughs) For the last 25 years, my wife and I have hosted game nights. We host game nights in our house and it's seven kids to, at one point, 50 kids invading our house, playing games. (laughs) We had nights where there were 50 kids. We lived in such a small place, we'd have kids like sitting in the bathroom because there was nowhere else to sit, and they'd have to come out every time someone used, wanted to use the bathroom. To get to the kitchen on our house, it was so crowded, they'd walk out the front door, around the house, and in the back door. <laughs> and we did that not because we wanted our furniture trashed, although it was. Our couch has two giant rips in it. We have a leather couch, and we've had it since Dylan was a few months old. Um, and we keep talking about whether or not it's time to get a new one. And we keep coming back to the, as long as we're going to have students in our house, let's just keep this one. <laughs> it functions. It used to be brown. It's now light purple, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It's leather. The leather all sags on it. But you know what? doesn't matter to me. You know why? Because I opened my house to say, there's a place for you. I want you here. People told me years ago when I started doing a board, a board game night or a game night for kids, they're like, kids don't want to play games anymore. I was like, you're right, they don't. But you know what they want to do? They desperately want to be with other people who care about them. They want to feel loved, accepted, valued. It wouldn't matter what activity we did. It's the, hey, come on, this is your place, come in. Let's create that for people around us in our lives. Because if we want to be ready for the people that are going to be coming in the doors, we can't just be the, hi, how are you? So good to see you. I got to go and walk out the side. Saying hello to someone on Sunday morning is not the friendliest church in town. That's a normal expectation of any human. I go into the post office, they say hello to me. I walk into Panera, they make me feel at home. So we're no spe- not special because the church does that. That's not enough anymore. We have to be vulnerable and be real and give a place for people to be vulnerable. And that's scary and that's hard. There's a difference between simply knowing about God, having your faith in Him. You will begin to look for what God is doing next when you really put your faith in God. When you put your faith deep in him, you're going to begin to look to see what he's doing next. And as you do that, your faith is going to be challenged to grow and expand. There's a difference in doing church, which is simply showing up and actually being the church, which means reaching out to the lost and the broken around me, whether that's in this place or outside of this place. 
We have to be a people who are known to reflect Jesus if we want the world to see the light of who he is. Right now, someone just sent me an article this week that the percentage of people under the age of 30 in England that are in church, it's about 1% to 2%. And it's the direction that we're headed as a country. And when it's too late to sit and wring our hands and go, well, we don't know what to do. You know what you do? You engage, you invite, you include, and you build relationship. And you go, well, Jeff, my kids aren't teenagers yet. They're preschoolers. Perfect. Start building relationships with those kids. We got them for the next 15 years. Maybe we can put something in their lives that tells them, oh, church is a good and safe place that I someday want my family in. I told you, one person doesn't change the world. But you know what one person does? Love someone so deeply that their world is impacted and the world around them begins to change. And suddenly, it's like ripples in a pond and it goes out. The pond is massive, but we're still sending the little ripples at least. Let's stop saying, I can't do everything and stop doing, and so I'm not going to do anything. Let's start saying, I can do this and maybe I can give a little bit more and I can do that too. Do we live like he is actually doing something in us as individuals in our church? Is that how I live my life day to day? That's my final question for you. Next week, we're wrapping up this series. Mike Pasley is actually going to be sharing about how navigating change over the past year has taken him out of his job, his career. He's walked away from it because he knows that God has something new. And in order to do that, he couldn't be doing what I do or what a lot of Gen X people do, which is working so hard and looking for that love and acceptance. But he had to accept and know that who he is in God is enough. And through his conversations and interaction with his family and with some godly people around him, he decided to walk away from his career, start a new business that allows him some freedom and flexibility so that he can look at and see how they can make an impact ministry-wise in their community and in our church. Mike had a great job, and I think he'll probably talk a little bit about it. But it was eating him alive because it was never enough hours and he was never making enough money. Not just personally, but like for the company. And he's going to talk about navigating change. And the beauty is, when I had a conversation with Mike this week, he still doesn't know everything. Like, he says he still doesn't, it's not like he has all the pieces to the puzzle, now he's just got to put them together. He's still trying to figure out. There's still some puzzle pieces that are missing that he knows have to go to complete the picture, but he's still following and trusting God. You guys, navigating change is hard, but it's going to be worth it in the end. And if we can push through the difficulties that we have in our church or push through the difficulties that we have personally with it, we're going to see great things happen. And we can't always be looking for what's better or what else is out there. There's always something else out there. There's always something shiny to grab our attention. But let's say, this is my home and this is where I am at. And now, how am I going to come together with this group of people to impact that community around me? I don't say that selfishly to keep people here. I've told you before, the Holy Spirit is a river. I will not build a dam. The same river that brings people to me is going to take people away, and I'm going to have to live with that. But at the same time, while people are here in our midst, in our body, I'm going to make sure that to the greatest of my ability, they are nurtured, challenged, inspired, motivated, moved, and have opportunity to grow. So that we become that place of refreshing, that refreshing pool for those around us.
Navigating change is never easy. Next week, Mike's going to finish up this series. In two weeks, I'm starting on talking about our vision and our mission for our church specifically. And I'm actually literally breaking down and defining every word in our mission statement. I did this three years ago, um, and I've never re-preached a series in my life. So there'll be some new things, but I want to do it again because I think we need to hear again, this is who we are. And who we are is going to shape and change and challenge the world. Because we are world changers, because we change one life at a time. And that's what we are going to do. And I'm going to beat that drum until we either believe it and live it, or until the world is changed. One of the two. Father God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. God, I just pray that we would become a people who are not afraid of change, but who celebrate it. And as we do, we see incredible things done. May we know you more, see you more, and experience you more. In your name, amen.